Hello, my rebels. Today I try and find seven silver linings in this crisis. Not really things that are better. I think everything's actually worse. But changes in our attitudes and mindset that if we can keep them going after the crisis is over, maybe that makes the world a better place. Anyways, um, let me invite you to become a premium subscriber to Rebel News. Just go to rebelnews.com. It's eight bucks a month. You get the video version of this show and Sheila Gunn-Reed's show and David Menzies' show too. All right, here's today's podcast. Tonight, the pandemic has killed more than 300 Canadians and nearly 3 million people have been thrown out of work here. But silver lining, let me tell you seven things that are actually better now. It's April 7th and this is The Ezra Levant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon I consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say to the government about why I publish it is because it's my bloody right to do so. How I wish we had done what Taiwan had done, closed the doors to flights from Wuhan, strictly screened anyone else coming in from China, ramped up factories to produce tens of millions of masks a day. Despite being just across the street from China, despite having nearly a million Taiwanese living in mainland China and going back and forth, they have managed to keep the toll of the virus to almost zero. Five fatalities so far in a country of nearly 25 million people, with the schools open, the restaurants open. Instead, we did the opposite. Flights from China continue to land every day, even today. They're not screened in any meaningful way. Even the special government repatriation charters, they have people on them with the virus. Just zero real checking at all. And no masks. Trudeau gave away our stockpile. There isn't a single Canadian factory that makes the N95 masks. Those are the ones that screen out 95% of particles. We just don't have that. So yeah, uh, a lot of things have gone wrong. By my math, we're approaching a 20% national unemployment rate, as high as in the Great Depression. I understand in Alberta, it might already be touching 25%. Just devastating, and of course, more than 300 deaths. But you've heard me say all of those things these past weeks, and I've been critical first at how Trudeau didn't actually stop the virus from just walking in through airports and at Roxham Road. And second, how, how the cure could wind up worse than the diseases. And you throw three, four million Canadian families out of work into poverty, you're gonna see a lot more death and destruction than 300 flu victims, I'll tell you that. It's a disaster. But let me take a few minutes and try to look at the silver lining of these dark clouds. Every day the Canadian tragedy grows, but let me tell you seven things that I think are better now than two months ago. And you tell me if you agree or disagree. They're ways of thinking about the world. Canada is not better now than it was two months ago. But are we more thoughtful? Let me show you seven ways I think we are. Number one, we're finally enforcing our borders. Not completely, not totally. In fact, bizarrely, Trudeau has loosened the qualifications to become a foreign, temporary foreign worker, low-wage worker in Canada. We have record unemployment, and he's literally making it easier so that low-wage, low-skill foreigners can come in to reduce wages even more. And Trudeau literally passed an order exempting people who were coughing with a fever from his foreign entry ban. Uh, he'll let in foreigners who have a fever and a cough just as long as they say they're claiming refugee status, seriously. 
Uh, as David Menzies shows us every day, there are planes landing regularly in Vancouver and Toronto directly from China. And all they say, um, they, they all say that they're screening uh, on the foreign airport side, but no screening uh, when they land here in Canada. Hi guys, did you just get off the flight from Beijing? Yes, we are. Yeah. I was just wondering, sir, can you remember what the um, customs officials were telling you when you were going through customs? No, I can't remember. Some uh, paperwork. Oh, they gave you some paper. <laughs> Did you read it yet? Uh, not uh, full yet. <laughs> Nobody at customs told you anything uh, special? Not, nothing that we don't already know. Did you see anyone, any agents giving masks out, the kind of masks that you and I are wearing? Uh, not given uh, any masks. No, you have to find it yourself. You got to find it yourself then, eh? Yeah. Uh, no. But let's not quibble. The border, I'd say, is 50% more impermeable than it was two, years, uh, two months ago. The flights have slowed to a trickle. There used to be a dozen Chinese flights a day to each of Toronto and Vancouver. Now it's maybe one or two each a day. Roxham Road is also reduced to a trickle. Not zero, but reduced a bit. But more important, Canadians know we can do it. We know we need to do it. We know that other countries in the world are doing it to save themselves. And we have finally moved past the race hustler, Teresa Tam, calling us the racist for wanting to be safe from people arriving from high virus countries. It is not racist, as Tam said it was. Here's how the Taipei airport in Taiwan meets everyone regardless of race, but mainly people from China. They're not racist in Taiwan. They're ethnically Chinese, too. They're not stereotyping. It's just math and statistics. They know that if they have a strong border around their country, it means they don't have to have strong borders within their country as in everyone locked in their own houses and locked out of schools and restaurants. So point number one, borders are in vogue again. You can talk about them again. And for deep, normal, simple, obvious reasons, expect more of that. People won't be able to write it off as racist anymore to talk about borders. That's a good thing now and in the future. Point number two, countries act in their own interests, including in supplying crucial products like face masks and medicines. There's a lot of fake news about the U.S. banning exports of N95 face masks to Canada. It wasn't true, but I suppose the underlying point is true. The U.S. absolutely could ban exports to any country in an emergency. And what's our backup plan? Trusting China as a supplier? As I showed you yesterday, the Wall Street Journal is reporting that the Chinese government has just seized materials from three Canadian-owned medical supply factories in China. And of course, so many medicines are made in China too. Maybe it's time to get some of that industrial production back in Canada so we're not at any foreign country's whim. Um, I read a story the other day, I think it was in the Dallas News, about a U.S. mask manufacturer in America who charges about 10 cents per mask. They're not the uh, N95 masks, but they're regular masks. About 10 cents. Absolutely first-rate American quality. Patriotic. He loves to supply America first. He only supplies Americans. He's getting phone calls and emails every minute, he says, with people wanting to order some of his production. He can't answer them all, of course, but he says he's been through this before. In past epidemics, like SARS, he says as, as soon as the panic is over, though, those same hospitals go back to ordering their masks from China. Because instead of paying 10 cents a mask that he charges, they might only charge 2 cents a mask in China. So they're saving 8 cents a mask. And if a hospital uses, I don't know, 1,000 masks a week, 
By gosh, they're saving 80 whole dollars. You bet they are. And putting aside quality issues and contamination and counterfeits and all the China specialties, they're putting their supply chain at the whim of China. So now that it's panic time again, they want to buy from this Texas manufacturer again because they know he'll supply to them. But he's not a big producer. He never could expand enough to make a million masks a day or 10 million masks a day. America needs probably 100 million a day because those American hospitals kept switching back to buying from China once the panic was over. But hey, they saved that $80 a week, didn't they? Was it worth it? So maybe this buy America, buy Canada, buy Canadian will take root in a lot of things. Maybe you'll just come to terms with spending an extra 5% on a cell phone made in Canada, but it's not spying on you like Huawei does. So maybe it's not actually even more expensive. It's better. Point three, and it's related, we are realizing the true nature of communist China as compared to, say, free Taiwan. Taiwan was the first country to guard against the coronavirus because they knew that China lies about things all the time. Taiwan actually sent its own doctors into Wuhan very early to see for themselves, to investigate for themselves. They didn't mess around, and since they're prepared, they can now help us. They're shipping masks around the world to its allies and they're shipping mask-building factory equipment to 12 friendly countries. That is a good global citizen. Unlike the Soviet-style Chinese government, which lies to its own people, lies to itself, and obviously lies to us. Um, what beats me uh, is that uh, Canadian and American media republish obvious Chinese lies without any skepticism. Like the claim that China has no more cases of the virus except for dirty foreigners bringing the virus to China. What a laugh. I might remind you that China also claims that not a single person was killed at Tiananmen Square. Imagine publishing that with a straight face. Well, it's the same thing. They're liars. It's a reminder about lying dictatorships and the risk they pose to all of us. And as I've shown you before, instead of warning the West about the virus, China, China kept quiet and had its expats in Canada, the United States, Australia, ship back to China our medical supplies before we were alerted to the problem. Taiwan didn't do that to us. So trust democracies, distrust China. Point four is similar. Globalism has failed both as an ideology and institutionally. What I mean is that the idea of open borders is obviously deadly when it comes to unscreened people with viruses, but also the open borders approach to global trade, where if you can save a few pennies per face mask or per pill of medicine, you then move all your factories to literally the cheapest place in the world. Yeah, no, that ain't working. Imagine if a factory owner had listened to Trump three years ago when Trump told companies to relocate their factories back to America. Anyone who did that would be so well positioned now. I understand why factory owners set up factories in a communist dictatorship. It's cheap. But is it really so cheap now? The math of globalism is wrong, but also trusting foreigners with foreign loyalties is, is wrong, at least when it comes to each nation's own national interests. I recommend to you Kean's biography of the president of the UN agency called the World Health Organization, how he was installed in that position by China. He's not even a doctor. How in his previous life, he oversaw brutal repression in his home country in Africa. Seriously, why would we listen to him, part of a globalist institution? And why would our Canadian health authorities, like Dr. Tam, listen to him and the UN and China? And indeed, we do. Remember this Canadian officer with the World Health Organization? Would the WHO consider Taiwan's membership?
Hello? With the, with the, I'm sorry, I can't hear. You. I couldn't hear your question. Okay, anymore. yeah. Let me let, let me let me repeat the question. No, so. that's okay. Let, let's move to another one then. Right, because because I'm I'm actually curious on talking about Taiwan as well on Taiwan's case. We decided to give Dr. Alward another call to follow up. And I just want to see if you can comment a bit on how Taiwan has done so far in terms of containing the virus. Well, we've, we've already talked about China. And, um, you know, when you look across all the different areas of, uh, of China, they've actually all done quite a good job. So with that, I'd like to thank you very much for inviting us to participate. And, uh, and good luck as you go forward with the battle in Hong Kong. Yeah, that guy is a Canadian doctor. He's from Newfoundland, actually who works for the World Health Organization now, and look at him treat Taiwan that way. Maybe that he's that nasty a guy in his own life, but I don't think so. I think that was a good man who has been corrupted by the globalist World Health Organization. That's my guess. Let's get out of the UN and the World Health Organization like Taiwan got out of it. They were kicked out of it, actually. Point five. We've been reminded these past weeks of the importance of blue-collar work and blue-collar workers. Nobody is missing their gender studies professor right now. Nobody is missing the countless think-alike clickbait journalists who have been laid off in the past month. Nobody cares. What I care about is the guy at the factory making toilet paper, the farmer in the field picking his produce, the guy driving the semi-trailer truck bringing both of those products to my local grocery store to the guy stocking the shelves at my store, to the gal working the cashier. They're essential, aren't they, truly? And anyone still working to fix things, whether it's plumbing or furnaces or mechanics, the things we actually need to keep going as society. My heart breaks at all the people who were commanded to be unemployed, waiters, anyone in the travel industry. We miss them. They are essential in real people's lives. I'm sorry they were sacrificed by the one-size-fits-all government lockdown. Which brings me to my next point. How unessential so much of government has turned out to be. So useless. But the things they're supposed to do, they refuse to do. Service Canada. Even federal food inspectors in Alberta just plain refusing to go to work. Oh, but staying on the government payroll nonetheless, you bet. If we manage to get along without all these bureaucrats and government officials for so long, why did we need them to begin with? I thought it was quite something that Trudeau announced that he was hiring Amazon to ship government products to Canada's far north. Apparently Canada Post isn't up for the job. Canada Post still gets huge subsidies and special privileges, but apparently they aren't really essential, are they? I think there will be lots of people who question just how excellent their government schools are when they discover what their kids can learn homeschooled with workbooks and the internet. And my last point, that this really is a crisis. It's a health crisis that has been magnified into an economic crisis by politicians that will soon, I fear, become an over-policing and civil liberties crisis. None of which happened in Taiwan, I point out. They're not sick en masse like us. They didn't destroy their economy like us. And although they allow some health information to be shared between health insurance companies and border control to determine which Taiwanese are at risk for the virus and therefore need to be screened, that's about it. Oh, and people who were quarantined upon return to China, to Taiwan, were checked up on by authorities to make sure they were at home. But that's not just mass social distancing. The number of people who were actually quarantined under law is measured in the tens of thousands, not the tens of millions as we've done here in Canada. 
it's a crisis we're in, but what's not a crisis? What's not as bad as what we're going through now? Well, the theory of man-made global warming, it's just not. You know that because no one acts like it is. No advocates for the theory of man-made global warming that we're all gonna die. They don't stop flying. They don't stop living freely because of global warming. Certainly not global warming celebrities. Global warming is a fake crisis, a luxury, a hobby. It's a shtick. This coronavirus is a real crisis, or at least we certainly made it into one. When we finally get out of it, I think it could change how we look at flim-flam men, con artists, like Greta Thunberg and her pageant mom and showbiz dad and her PR team hucksters who are trying to sell us and tell us that we're all gonna die from global warming and we should all shut down our economy to save the planet. No thanks, I think we've just had our fill of panic and crises. For the rest of our lives we've had our fill and we've also tasted the destruction that comes from it. These seven points, none of them are tangible things. All of them are changes in mindset putting your own country first and reestablishing borders, making things that are important, making them in your own country, even if they cost eight cents more than making them in China would, respecting the work of people who actually do something important from truck drivers to farmers, realizing that many institutions we value are simply coasting on an old reputation and they didn't respond well in this crisis at all. In fact, they made it worse. And look, crises are not fun. Even if Al Gore, David Suzuki and Greta Thunberg tell us to have one. Seven changes in our thinking that I hope will stay even when we're through the worst. Stay with us for more. Well, Canada seemed to ignore this pandemic for the longest time and only very recently started to close off border travel and to this day has not done mass testing and face masks are hardly available. A country that seems to have known what was coming, perhaps from experience, and has taken public health steps that have not shut down its economy is the Republic of China, also called Taiwan. Uh, we've been trying to learn more about Taiwan's approach. I think one of the most important factors is it has been banned from the UN's World Health Organization because of discrimination from communist China. So they've had to go it alone. And in my view, they've made better decisions as a result. But today we speak to an expert on the ground in Taiwan who has generously agreed to be interviewed by Skype despite the time zone difference. Uh, may I introduce to you Dr. Peter Chang, a public health expert in Taiwan who is taught around the world, including universities in the United States, Indonesia, Kazakhstan, and of course, Taiwan. He joins us now. Dr. Cheng, what a pleasure to meet you. Thank you for taking the time with us. Yes, it's also my great pleasure to talk well, with you. Thank you. Let me start by asking, how did Taiwan know this was going to be a serious question? In the West, I think people were waiting. It was like, uh, we saw a problem off in the distance, but we all sort of thought we were in a different uh, reality over here. How did Taiwan know to take steps as early as late December? Well, um, we have been working on um, with the virtual issue for many years. Actually, I would I recall the history of 
not been uh, uh, not been well informed and very very isolated in the SARS period. You know, we were the last one to get the SARS, and the last one to get out SARS. And when we get out of SARS, we find we are just like orphanage. You know, there was no one care about what's going on in Taiwan, and we had to take about actually four months after the other countries to get out of the SARS, Canada included. So uh, we have been quite uh, cautiously about what's going on, which is uh, uh, WHO can afford information. But before that, you know, 1998, there was the enterovirus in the Southeast Asia, and we were not aware of that. Uh, Malaysia got big head uh, hit by the enterovirus, and we got 400 cases, including 71 kids were killed by enterovirus. And I was, by the time, working in the health ministry, a very, very early stage of my career. And we find out we didn't get anything from outside of the country. And including in two, year 2000, I will give you another example. In year 2000, West Pacific WHO having declared polio eradication in the region. But why is that so late? Taiwan was the last one getting the polio in 1983. And there was a problem that we cannot prove it to WHO that there was no polio uh, myelitis in Taiwan. And we had to call Australian international expert to come to Taiwan to, to observe and do an evaluation that send a report to WHO. So, you know, we are not new to see the situation. It's very awkward. It's, it's not totally healthy at all that we have information we cannot share with WHO and we got a blockage by the China all the time. It has been 20 years. Now, so with this long tradition, at least more than 20 years alertness that we have a problem with WHO and we don't know how to handle the situation in China, including the health issues. And I was uh, uh, in late last year, I was uh, talking with our CDC person. You know, I was, I'm ombudsman in Taiwan. I was talking with our health ministry uh, on a constant basis. And we, I was talking about how often do they get information from China about the health uh, infectious disease. And there was a, a discussion about, well, how can we improve it? So in late December last year, there was a newspaper already in our local and they was reporting some doctor in China was sending, sharing their personal note about observation of this uh, particular unusual uh, pneumonia. And that recall us that uh, in 19, uh, 2003, the SARS appeared to us is like, like the same. And we have a quick note, well, will that be the same thing? So in late December, there was a, 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 our CDC person already uh, take note about what's going on. So they send an expert to China in Wuhan in early, uh, in early January. And they really, that was real action to see, oh, there was a problem there. So I uh, put it the long way, but you see, we are in the, uh, very close to China and we are aware of the, there's a something we cannot uh, handle. You know, there was no information sharing. We are always on this alert and that make us we're prepared. Wow, so um, you saw reports of this and you sent your own um, experts to Wuhan. <clears throat> 
I presume this was done informally. Uh, did the Chinese government try to stop uh, your Taiwanese experts from going to Wuhan in January, or did you just go as private tourists? How did you get into Wuhan I, uh, in those critical weeks to see for yourself? Well, there have been requests by our CDC to Chinese uh, Ministry of Health on this visit. And they was not allowed to get into that real uh, that area until two at least at least two weeks after their uh, application that they got permitted. But they was only coming very uh, informally. There was not official visit. Certainly, this officer uh, expert from CDC. But they were only coming to Wuhan as an official visit. And they was uh, able to talk with some of the doctor in the hospital. And because they were aware of this might be something around there, so when they come back, they have a press conference, and they say that likely there were human-to-human -human transmission in early January when they come back to open the, the report. But you see, the, in December 31st, our CDC already sent in a, a note to WHO, and Chinese uh, authorities say that we were aware that there might be something wrong about this atypical pneumonia. Can you uh, rectify that? I mean, but there's no reply at all from WHO and from China. And that's the reason they send continued requests. Maybe we can send our expert to Wuhan. You see, that is the late December last year and early in January. So um, the World Health Organization, they were unhelpful as well. Is what you, did I hear you correctly there that both the Chinese government and the World Health Organization were not cooperative? Is, did I hear you correctly? Yes, you, uh, that is right. Because uh, we are in international health regulation, like a, a local contact point. And we were supposed to send requests or send information or send our alert to IHR, which is the global uh, treaty. Everyone should respond to that or, or the right to that. If there was a, you know, it's a, it's a community networking that you tell someone what have you observed, or maybe you answer a question or you share your information. But when the CDC uh, in, in Taiwan send that kind of inquiry, that, you know, they, are, they have been uh, very modest. They say that we learn something might be going on. Are you aware that this is going to be a human-to-human -human transmission? WHO has nothing reply. Wow. Now, um, Until two, three weeks later. Yeah. So you started to uh, go on alert very late December. Uh, you, you sent a team to Wuhan. Um, so you were on the alert early. Now, we've studied how your country produces uh, about 10 million face masks a day and distributes them through pharmacies so there's not, ra so there's not hoarding. People don't buy them up. And I've spoken to your embassy here in, um, in Canada, your economic and, and cultural office, and they say that there's a rule that Taiwan cannot export masks, the masks are for domestic patients, which makes sense to me. Um, here we are in early April, and I feel like Canada has only just in the last couple of weeks taken this seriously. We don't have masks. We don't have testing. Uh, 
And on the other hand, we don't have those protections, but so much of our country is in total lockdown. No schools are open, no restaurants are open, no theaters or anything like that. Can you tell us how Taiwan has allowed people to continue to work, go to school, and even go to some restaurants? How do you get out of the total lockdown that we're in and get to some normal kind of life, maybe just with masks and testing? Well, um, the, you know, it's, it's not one, one step. It's many, many steps in, in consequence that uh, uh, in January uh, 23rd, our premier already said that we have to produce a big number of the masks, but we, by the time, we will only produce one million a day. You know, it's not enough. We got a 23 million population. And so the premier said, that, well, I'm sorry, we cannot export. We should increase our production until we will be able to supply uh, that uh, to every individual, you know. Every individual has a right to get a mask. So I think the mask is already in our culture. It's not a big deal. You know, if, if the government or if the teacher ask people to wear a mask, people would, would wear a mask. You know, just like you wear a glove, you know. You, it's cold, you put on the coat. It's no big deal. So it's quite uh, easy for us to get used to that uh, new protection to wear a mask and wash your hand. So in late January, we already do that and increase the production of the mask as much as possible now. It's going to 15 million a, a day now. So we will be able to uh, start thinking about uh, provide some of this uh, mask to uh, outside the country. Um, so wearing a mask is the very, very early stage. And, but also we cut the direct fly from Wuhan to Taiwan very, very early. And that is very critical. And then there was other airport in, in Hubei province. So we was trying to, you know, we have many, thousands of people coming from China to Taiwan. On the other hand, every day. And this is, that's the reason we are at the highest risk. And the first that we cut down the flight, there was no direct flight for Wuhan. And there was a thousand of people from Taiwan, they remain in Wuhan until recently. I'm, I'm sorry for that because we have to cut it. And we minimize the entry from Chinese air flight coming to Taiwan. That's the first very, very important step to stop it. Now, certainly they're putting a lot of uh, alert to the public that the pneumonia is really coming. And uh, we have to practice everything that you see we don't have until today, we got 360 cases so far confirmed compared to many other countries. This is incredible. This yeah. is unbelievable that though, because we check in all the entry from the airport, from the airlines and check in every contact. There were more than 50,000 people already being chased about are they in contact and they have to be asked to stay at home for two weeks. You know, we are really crazy about checking every potential, but there is no complaint by the public at all because people see that if we don't stop it in the early phase, they will go to a hospital and the hospital will be bombarded with too many cases. And, you know, many other countries, they lost their hospital capacity very easily. Yeah. So I think we take uh, from... Uh, Early mid of January until now, three months is already. We are on this alert that 
Well, we are kind of uh, enjoying still the liberty to traveling to go shopping as long as you have to wear a mask. We have we have to wear a mask when you are on the subway or you are in a on a bus. Now, if you go to the post office or you you visit the bank, it's possible you have to wear the mask. So we we are using our mask, but giving us the liberty to traveling around. The school is open. The university is is open, so you know it's a trade-off. You're losing some of that uh, entertainment luxuries, but we got the liberty of still keeping the life uh, 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 going on. Yeah. Well, when you say that you quarantined fifty thousand people out of a population of twenty-three million Taiwanese, that's uh, two tenths of one percent, if my math is correct. Twenty-three thousand well, would sorry, be one tenth. I mean, uh, fifty thousand in total from mid-January until now. Right. So I, it, that's incredible to me because yes. in Canada, because we did not shut down our flights, now a hundred percent of our population is under some restriction, not zero yeah. point. Two percent. Let me ask you one last question, Dr. Chang, and I'm so grateful for your time and thank you for arranging this interview despite the time zone differences. So you've told us a little bit about how Taiwan found out about the virus and how you locked down flights from China and how you ramped up mask production uh, more than two months ago. Uh, that's something that hopefully we can learn from in the future. But in Canada today, we have a lockdown of a great many people. Our public health officials are still saying we don't need masks, which sounds absurd to me. And, and they're not really disclosing a lot of facts about their uh, models, about their projections for who's going to get sick and how many people. If you had any advice for Canada today, not what we should have done a month or two or three ago, but how we can get out of this trouble today, do you have any advice for Canada or America or other Western countries that really were caught sleeping? Well, uh, information, you know, is like intelligence. It's the most critical in fighting a uh, 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 you know, when you your enemy is a virus, we need a very, very good intelligence. When it started in Wuhan, you know, Wuhan is a big, big, is a, a, I would say is a 40 million or 60 million populations. And there are many, many people coming out of Wuhan before Christmas. Many people didn't know, realize, there are many, many rich Chinese, they travel out of uh, Wuhan for Christmas for shopping. These are the middle class, rich people. They are not working. They, they are not just uh, mid, they are not working class. They are rich. They're going out to New York, to Paris, to Milan for Christmas shopping. So before Christmas, there are already many, many people from Wuhan Chinese travel out of Wuhan. Hmm. And you see that the alertness of this it's usually people say that it's January, February. No, no. It actually, in December, in December, Christmas, before Christmas, and even during the Christmas period, many Chinese people 
at least one million players already travel outside of Wuhan, coming to every part of the world, right? Mm -hmm. If you see L New York, if you see London now, it didn't happen in March, in February. Right. The cluster of this virus already in the city in the Christmas period, right? in a small numbers, so and they're spreading. So therefore, the intelligence to, to lower down the passenger from the epicenter is critical. Now, if they already come to the uh, community uh, transmission, if you already got a lot of cluster in family, in the schools, we need to protect the people by mask. You need meeting them at home. That's right, but it's big sacrifice, right? You, you cannot go shopping, you cannot go to school. So we need mask as early as possible. Washing hand because this respiratory droplets is really coming from person to person. When people talking to each other, when they cough and sneezing in the environment, I would say a lot of a toilet, public toilet in the airport was tremendous dangerous because there is no ventilation. So my my suggestion, well, in different period of time, in Canada, you already have got a lot of cases. You need to lock down the city, a community. That's right. But one way or the other, you, you, you cannot, having people inside the house too long, they have to do daily activity. Wear mask, wash hand, and limit the, a big crust of the population. Then in slow story, you will get those virus, uh, all the infected people going down. Very interesting. Well, Dr. Cheng, thank you so much for joining us today. I've, I've learned a lot, including how early Taiwan took control of the situation, of its own situation, uh, despite the best efforts of communist China and the World Health Organization to stop you. Congratulations on being one of the most successful countries in the world to fight against this virus. I think we should all study the case of Taiwan as a template for what we should do now and even more importantly in the future. Thank you for your time today, doctor. Thank you for inquiry and question. I wish you all the best and good luck for Canada. Thank you so much. Well, there you have it, Dr. Peter Chang, a public health expert in Taiwan, previously the advisor of the Taiwan Health Ministry on European Union Affairs at the European Commission. Stay with us, more ahead on The Rebel. Hey, welcome back on my monologue yesterday about the fake news of Trump blocking 3M from sending masks to Canada. Wayne writes, the president of 3M was following his orders. He did not follow the Defense Production Act. Trump stepped in and told him the country gets the mask or the government will take control. That's correct. But did Trump actually say cut off Canada or did he say cut off overseas or foreign? And in Trump's mind, Trump does not even think of Canada. He thinks North America and everyone else. So we still don't know the actual truth. We know what 3M said, but we don't know what Trump actually told them. Arnold writes, why won't the prime minister just get tested and go back to work? Well, there's no need to test him. He's been in this fake quarantine for a month. He never had any symptoms to begin with. He's lazing about at home. He likes it. What's so stunning is that the media party who talk with him every day, they don't even ask him about this because, you know, that's too mean. And they have never asked Trudeau a mean question in their lives. And mean, of course, means a grown-up question for a grown-up. 
Don writes, why are we not using the well-trained military personnel at the airports and all entryways? Well, sure, I mean, you don't have to use the military for that, though, because there is another federal agency, the Canadian Border Services Agency. Um, like you don't need to put a soldier to do a job of another agency, just have the agency do that. You don't need to do the RCMP. You just We have people at the border who can do it. It's not a matter of we don't have the people. It's that we, ha we haven't done it. Thermometers, do they use in airports around the world? I don't know what an electronic thermometer gun is that you type, you just put up to the head. Is that 20 bucks? Is it 50 bucks? I doubt it's that expensive. And have a little plastic cover so maybe you don't touch the same one to everybody's head. I don't know. How hard can that be? It can't be hard. It's not a lack of resources. It's a lack of will. I find it bizarre. Every third world country is taking temperatures. That's what they say when they land here. When David interviewed those girls from Pakistan, when David interviewed those guys from China, they all said, oh yes, tested everywhere, except here in Canada. That is not because we're out of money or out of people. It's because we have Justin Trudeau and the World Health Organization making the decisions for us. Well, that's the show for today. Until tomorrow, on behalf of all of us at the Rebel World Headquarters, to you at home, good night. Stay healthy and keep fighting for freedom. Thank you.